0: I'll begin with prayer this morning, slightly different, alright? I'll explain why later. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we come before you, who is God Almighty, a God bigger than our situation and anything that may hinder us from believing in you. And so, Lord, help us to believe that you are our God, Is for us. This morning, we know that the week, some of us for the week, some of us has been rough. Some receiving some news that perhaps not so pleasant. But Lord, this day we declare that you are good to us, and Lord, you are for us, and you have your word for us to encourage us, to bless us, that we might remember that our Lord Jesus Christ has come, and therefore the evidence before us that you love us more than we know. So Lord, speak to us, speak to myself, that as I preach the word, and as the congregation hear the words, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak deep into our hearts and soul that may bring bring peace to one and all. So Lord, help us indeed. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So normally uh, I will do the scripture reading right before preaching. So this is the norm. Uh, But today I will read as I preach the text because the scripture reading are much longer, right, than usual. In fact, there are ninety-three verses, and I would uh, encourage you to open your Bible, right, to Luke, right, to the Gospel of Luke. I will preach from Luke chapter one, verse five to chapter 2, verse 7. So, there's a long passage. In fact, out of the 24 chapters, this is the longest chapters. And there's a reason why, all right? I know many preachers choose to preach in the chunks of the narratives, but uh, if I do that, right, it will kind of miss the, uh, what would I call the uh, literary, right, structure and what uh, Luke intends and also the divine intends of God. So, bear with me, all right? You open your Bible, uh, otherwise, right, uh, as far as possible, uh, the projectionist will try to keep up with the text that I'm referring to. Okay? And I say again right, the 93 verses uh, have, will give us, in fact, a bird's eye view of what I call the structure and the purpose of a very long narrative in both in its literary, literary and theological intent. All right? So the structure goes like this. The promises, or the promise of two supernatural births with the supernatural encounter of the angel Gabriel, right? Children, have you heard about angel, right? All the rest of the angel is kind of fluffy, right? But this is real angel. This is angel Gabriel, right? And I think we have one among us named Gabriel as well, right? Uh, now, this show of God's mercy and... Uh, To the many of us, and it's particularly shown uh, God's mercy right in two poems of hope, right? So there are two supernatural births, and there's two poems of hopes, and the poems are acknowledgments of God's hand in Israel, right, for the nation and for the individuals through the generations, and then finally the two births accounts actually points to the joy or the, what we call the blessedness of God's people with the fulfillment of God's promise. So, the structure goes like this. There's two supernatural births being promised. with the supernatural encounter with Angel Gabriel. Then there's two poems of hope. All right? A song and a prophecy. And then finally, there are two birth accounts. The actual birthing of two babies right, uh, in these chapters. So, This is how it goes. So, the question is this. Now, why would Luke do that? Why would Luke do that? Why the twos? Why the pairs of parallel, what we call parallel narratives, right? So, it goes in and out. It goes, uh, there's a a, uh, foretelling of one birth and then after foretelling of another birth, then after that go into one family and then after go to another family and finally one birth and the other. Why? So, when you read, through chapter 1 and take it as a whole, you should feel actually the force of the narrative that Luke is pushing forward. The point is this, that the faith is certain. The faith is certain. There's a double confirmation of whatever is to come right from the beginning. He's laying the foundation of the gospel with a great certainty. He wants to say, uh, in, in, in Singaporean terms, double confirm. This faith that you have, It's real, double-double confirmed. And God actually uses this to help the young believers in the churches. Uh, Back then, like Theophilus, uh, who is not really known to many of us, not much is talked about him, but mentioned in uh, verse 4, to help him to ascertain his faith. And at the same time, he helped the rest of us to have the certainty of faith. Now, unlike other religions that begins with man making a decision to believe, the Christian faith begins with a call, with a call from God through the Holy Spirit. For that reason, Luke inked the fingerprints of the work of the Holy Spirit, the call to believe in the first chapter, especially the second half uh, from verse 39 onwards. In in other words, the certainty of faith must come with the call to believe. Why? You may ask why, right? Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, We were all dead. We were all dead in our trespasses, meaning none of us is alive spiritually. We are all dead in sin, but we are called to be dead to sin, and alive in Christ. So from the text, we should hear and we need to hear the Holy Spirit call for all of us this morning, right? If you are here listening for a long time, here is the gospel, here is the good news for you, that Holy Spirit call us to be saved from our sin of the flesh, from the sin of the world, and from the devil. So we are to be saved from the call to sin by our flesh, by the world and by the devil. We are called to live in Christ. Now, I'll start and begin with chapter 1, verse 5 then, because the narrative begins there, right? Also, uh, again, uh, I want to remind us that uh, I have actually preached from verse 1, in case you're wondering why I didn't start from verse 1 to 4, right? Because I have preached verse 1 through 4, Uh, at the beginning of 2020, alright, it's in our archive of uh, the website, if you want to go and search, go and search for that, I've already preached through that, so there you go, right, I start from verse 5 and providentially (laughs) allowed me to start from verse 5, then here it is, the first part of the sermon, the call to believe in God with His promises, now how does Luke do this here, he introduces us to two promises of two supernatural births to two couples. Now, God sent His angel Gabriel to bring a promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. I know some of you have heard this, but do here with a fresh year, a fresh heart. So, here is where you have to flip your Bible with me, and even the projection is here. Look down with me to verse 5, and I'll read through 7. Verse 5. In the days of Harold, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments, just now we've heard, right, all the commandments and statutes of uh, the Lord." But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, Luke begins with a date and timestamp in the days of Herod. That is not any Herod right, that we read in Acts. This is a specific Herod, the first Herod. He was known as Herod the Great, the king of Judah. He was installed by the Romans to Govern the Jewish people after they were conquered. So, what is the significance here? You might ask, why, why, why this timestamp? Why is it so important? Remember, Luke, he himself is a very particular historian. He's Doctor Luke, by the way, right? He's a physician, but here he's also a historian. Here, so in those days, in the days of Herod, mark the timestamp of where the gospel begins. But what is more significant here is that you see. There was no prophet, there's no God's messenger since Malachi, the last prophet, for about 500 years, God was seemingly silent, 500 years, no God of word to Israel, and now, in the days of Harold, God broke radio silence, right, you know, radio silence, right, some of you haven't gone to army, radio silence, you know, when you go on a mission, right, you need to uh, kind of creep on the surprise attack of the enemy. Yeah? Uh, no, the commander will say, hey, radio silence. Everybody keep quiet. Right? For hours, we do not break silence. Anybody break silence. It's a very serious offense, you know, by the way. But anyway, come back to the text here. God broke that radio silence. Here is the mission. For 500 years, I've been telling you there's going to be this mission. These people are going to do something great. And now, something great is going to happen. That... The significance. So the message of God came to a priest of Israel named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Right. Abijah was one of the 24 descendants of Aaron serving as Levites and priests. So this actually backdates, right? All the way to Moses' time. Right? Moses, when he led the Egyptians out, alright, led the Jewish people out of the Egyptians' captivity. So Aaron is Uh, Moses, right, a relative, and he was made uh, the high priest. And of Aaron's descendants, Abijah is one of the 24 descendants. This is big, so it's something huge. So, Zechariah is not nobody. He's somebody. He's somebody here. He's of the line promised, the Levites serving, right, since Moses' time. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, was also from the line of Levites, tracking down and tracing back to Errant. So, this highlight that God has intentionally choose them or chosen them, right? To set them apart for his people and his purpose. So, this is how it goes. And for that reason, God kept them righteous before him. They are not righteous because they are righteous, but because God kept them righteous. But they had, what did the text tell us? But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were old beyond childbearing age. Now, if you are a very alert reader of the Bible, immediately this will kind of, and should sound familiar to you, to a situation to another couple back in the old days. Abraham and Sarah. The similarities are that both, Zacharias and Abraham, were what? They were called out of the ordinary, Right? They were ordinarily doing their own things and suddenly they were call out. And both Elizabeth and Sarah were parent. Both couples were called to believe in the promises of God that they should have children in their old age. Now, look down with me again to your Bible. I will be reading from verse 8 through 17. It's going to be a long one here, but not too long. And then I'll read. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verse 14. And you will have joy, gladness, and many. Uh, will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people prepared. Again, here from the text we know, Zacharias was doing his everyday, ordinary priestly duty in the Bible. And he prayed to God. Now, when an angel appeared before him, the angel told him the good news that God, heard his prayers and God would answer his prayers. Here we will write and be right to ask, which prayers, what prayers did Zechariah pray and what prayers did God answer? Did God answer Zechariah's personal or a national prayer or national prayers? Now in the immediate context of our text here, right, you you, you will rightly assume that he would be praying for his community, rather than personal matters like having a child. Why? Because given that him and his wife were beyond childbearing age, his prayers would rightly be for Judah, right? For Israel. However, then you must ask, wouldn't any couple pray for having children in their younger days? You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have prayed. I believe so. And here is the good news for them and for all of us. God remembers our prayers and personal care. God remembers our prayers and personal care, even when we forget our prayers. And God may positively answer our longing prayers when they actually align with His promise or purpose. Like Zechariah would have interceded for Israel to be be delivered as a nation after many barren years, barren, no message from God. And when God answers His prayers for the nation. God also answers his personal prayers for having a child he shall be named John through John's mission to make ready for the people uh, for, for the Lord a people prepared now Israel will know that they will be delivered right out barrenness the barren faith Verse 17 says that John will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here, Luke reminds God's promise in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 to 6. That was 500 years before, right? And it reads here Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The call here is to believe the gospel with God's promise, keeping Malachi in mind. And God actually sent Elijah, his spirit. John, so that there's no destruction coming to the people. It shows God's mercy. However, many of us will be plagued with unbelief sometimes, right? Like Zechariah did. And I'll read, continue to read from verse eighteen to through twenty-five. All right, eighteen through twenty-five. I put my finger to it, and I read. And Zechariah said to the angel, "How shall I know this? For I am old man." And my wife is advancing, yes. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked at me or looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. So you see, Zechariah questioned the angel due to their old age. His unbelief wasn't because his mind cannot understand the angel's message. Not that he cannot comprehend literally what the message was. What was Zechariah's unbelief? His unbelief was how God actually big, uh, how big actually God was or is, right? He don't believe that God is bigger than his situation or our situation or our limitation and his limitation and his situation that they are advanced in age. And for that reason, the angel Gabriel has to come down hard on Zechariah with his full weight and authority as the angel of God, the messenger of God, to shake Zechariah up saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent but, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because. You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time. You see, Gabriel is not like making himself big. When he say, I am Gabriel, it's not like as if he's saying, I am like, I'm Groot, Groot right? Like the uh, guardians of the Galilee, I'm Groot. Gabriel is not egoistic. If he was, he would have fallen as an angel immediately. So he's not making himself big. I am Gabriel. I am not ego. He's not egoistic. What he's saying, and he follow on to say, I stand in the presence of God. Here, you see, Gabriel is making God big. In other words, the angel Gabriel is saying, God is here speaking to you through me, Zaki. And you are making small of God's word. Therefore, from now on, you cannot speak to prevent you from making small of God. Otherwise, who knows what will become of you, Zacchae? I would think that uh, it is indeed. You see, you, when you read this, you might think it's very harsh. But you must read this with care. God came through after breaking silence. Grace is coming forth. Why would there would be kind of harshness to come to Zaki? I would think it is this that it's out of God's grace and mercy that Zechariah was silent or silence not silent like killed uh, but he was silent uh, silent he was he was silent because when he when God break his silence uh, of of faithfulness to Israel right he was coming through you see in Jesus own words in Matthew chapter 12 verse 30 and 32 He says this. This is Jesus' own words. And it's not my word, all right? This is God Himself saying this. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of God will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. In other words, when a professing believer of Jesus Christ entertains the thought or the thoughts, or entertains the renouncing, or entertains the deconstruction of his or her faith, is a grave and grievous matter against the Holy Spirit and the entire body of Christ. And why, you must ask? Because it is the Holy Spirit who would first call a person to believe in Jesus. So, if a professing, professing believer makes a complete u turn in life from professing faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the person is literally saying this, The Holy Spirit work is now. The Spirit Holy works in me is a mistake or worse. The Holy Spirit actually lies to the body of Christ. Now, if God can lie, then there is no truth. If there is no truth, there is no God. That is a very serious claim from a person who has stayed in a church and enjoyed the benefits of the body of Christ for a long time, you see. And for that reason, Zechariah was unable to speak. It is God's judgment, but more so, to show God's grace, to prevent Zechariah, blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we do not know the state of Zechariah's faith at that point of time. You see, he was a priest. Like many other of the Pharisees and those Jewish people, they just go through the motion, right? Right? What's the state of spirituality, we really don't know. But at that point, right, it is the Holy Spirit work and the angels' work to silence him from blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so is grace from God. So verse 22 through 25 reads, The people witnessed that he could not speak. They realized that he had seen a vision, a supernatural encounter. And then Elizabeth conceived for five months thus. The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, here is a personal and corporate declaration and the significance to Zechariah's prayers. God is taking away the reproach of Israel and Zechariah and Elizabeth. You see? It's God's grace. At a very corporate level, as well as a very personal level. Next, the promise of Jesus came to Mary, and I continue to read from verse 26 to 34. So, I'll put my finger here, right? 26 to 30, sorry, 38, sorry. Okay, so I'll read. In the next, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and The child to be born will be called holy. Holy as in set apart, right? The son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month uh, with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel Gabriel called Mary to believe with God's promise of his word. But unlike Zechariah, she believed God is bigger than her situation. God is bigger. He breathes lives and gives a soul to babies in their mother's wombs. God is bigger. The Holy Spirit is God. Though she might not you know, fully understand the theology of the Trinity, God is bigger than all the stigma and shame the people might say behind her back as an unwed mother. The call is to believe in God's word with His promises to her. Elizabeth believed. Unlike Zechariah, who did not believe God is bigger and mightier than Him. The question for us is then, would you believe God is bigger than your situation? Pray with His promise of redemption, restoration, and healing in God's words. The call is to believe in God with His promises and the gift of salvation whether it's a relationship that's gone wrong, whether, you know, a job situation, whether your friendships, right? Is God bigger than our situations? Perhaps some of us are not feeling well, right? So how, God, how big is our God? Now, coming to children, right? Children, have you ever wished for a Christmas gift or present? Have you ever wished for that? I see smiles on the face, at least smile on the parent's face, right? Like asking for a Christmas present during or after family worship, right? Nearing Christmas, you will hear the kids suddenly talk a lot, right? Or even pray a lot. Or at least give thanks for what would be a present at the dinner table. Uh, Saying grace, giving thanks. Saying out loud so that your Christian parents can hear it, right? Children will do that. Now, what gives you the certainty that you will get it? Like the, first, you know, the present. So, you know, right, first, one of the parents might give you, yeah, I promise you, okay okay, I, I will consider it. You know. But when you say, parents say, I consider it, yeah, it's almost double confirmed already. okay? It's a really gone case. The heart is already psh, to give a present, all right? So, the thing is that one of the parents will give you promise, right? If your dad don't, you can go to the mommy. <laughs> so I'm not dividing the parents, okay? Um, so, after a big smile from one of the girls, I, I, I knew I did, okay? That's, that's what happened to me, uh, I'm relating that, okay? Then as a kid, you would then hope for the present to what? To arrive, right, finally at a, you know, either the Christmas tree bottom or whatever. And finally, the hope becomes a reality, And the promise fulfilled, right, when you see the present below the Christmas tree. Now, I I don't have such a childhood. Uh, By the way, I don't have such a childhood with my parents, right? My parents are, and uh, they they were both unbelievers, and my mom is still an unbeliever. I don't have such a childhood. But my Christian aunties, they were my spiritual parents, and they did so for me. Every Christmas, as long as I can remember, since I was a child, I was given a pair of socks. I think until recently, I came back from the US, they still give me socks for Christmas present. You see, the, 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 the presents on Christmas actually reminds and points me to the goodness of God. That there is some good in this world. There is some good in this world. Christianity actually came to me as gifts and presents when things were bleak at home, all right? The gifts from my aunties show me that someone thought about me and that there is some good in this world. To be sure, I am not encouraging consumerism, okay, go and buy gifts and for one another, all that. But I know our children, and, and I know our children have a lot here, right? Uh, but there are many more children in Singapore who are like me, all right, waiting for a gift, praying and hoping for a gift to receive something good. To receive the hope that wrong things will be made right in the future, especially in families. And that hope comes with God's mercy in a Savior. For that reason, here Luke points us to the call to believe in a Savior with God's mercy in the two poems in chapter 1. Right? Like the rest of his writing, he, again, I would say, he gives us historical, literary field, and a theological team all together, and many, in fact, all right, of God's mercy in the Savior, in his words. So, the first is what is no, uh, widely known as Mary's Song of Praise, or what they call the Magnifica, the Magnifica, from verse 46 through 55, and then the second, second poem is simply known as Zacharias. Prophecy from verse 67 to 79. Now, if you read the Greek, right, they, mm, I would say more sound like writing poems. You wouldn't know if they are song or not, uh, but the categorization of, because within the context, right, uh, people give them such names. So, I would say just there are two poems, All right, writings. So, I'll read from verse 46 through 55, and here, okay. I'll put my finger here and I'll read. He has shown strength from His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Here we know the Savior is God. The Savior is mighty. He does great things. He does it for the individuals and He does it for the generations of community. He is merciful. He has mercy for those who are humble and not prideful, right, in their deepest being. His mercy was shown to what? Abraham and Israel, though, to some of our surprise, both were not perfectly humble and did many mistakes throughout the generations. They were the evidence of God's mercy. So sometimes we think that these great names were brought out as if they were all perfect. But no, it's to remind us of God's love and mercy and like what Elder King has led us through. Nothing will separate us from the love of God for those of us who profess Him. So in that case, uh, the first poem is called to believe, it's a call to believe in a Saviour with God's mercy, okay? So, that's the first poem to call us to do that. Now, to double down and point to the realness of God's mercy in the Saviour, Luke gives us another poem, what we call through Zechariah's prophecies of his son preparing the people to receive the Saviour. Why? Because that's the object of faith, Jesus Christ Himself, the Saviour. And I read from verse 67 through 79 here. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you see, the Holy Spirit comes again, right? Luke is not just thinking about. There is what we call the divine authorship at hand here, right? The Holy Spirit is brought in, right, strongly throughout, in fact, chapter 1 all the way to the last chapter, and in fact, through Acts as well. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... covenant, which is His holy promises, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadows of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, the call is to believe in a Savior, right? Right? as the Most High, the Most High God. The Lord is able to forgive the sins of man. This is His will. Forgive the sins of man with what? Tender mercy of God. So you hear from both poems, the word mercy keep on coming up, right? The promises of all keep on coming up. Why? Because for 500 years, radio silence, as if there's no mercy from God. But here, Two poems confirm God is merciful. God is coming through with His promise. And this is a Savior promise with God's mercy. So, root purpose is to introduce the Savior of the Gospel, Jesus, the object of faith here. Now, faith for some of you may be kind of subjective, right? But it is indeed the subjective instrument that connects us to the objective savior faith itself is not the object all right we are called to place our faith in whatever we want to believe oh sorry we are not called to place our faith in whatever we want to believe we believe because we know the savior is true sure you could say i believe in jesus But when someone asks what you know about the Saviour, then you would say, well, I have a relationship with Jesus. Then someone would ask again, and may ask again, what kind of relationship you have? Then you would say, Jesus is love. Now, someone again asks, very curious guy. I'm not sure, but people ask me before like that, all right? How is Jesus really like? How is Jesus like, really? Then you, you know, well, you might then insist, Jesus is love. Now, it's like asking me, uh, how is your wife like? And then I answer, my wife is love. But then you may ask me again, really, uh, how, how, how is your wife like? Then I insist, you know, la, I really love her, my wife. She really loves me. It is a feeling, lah wouldn't you you walk away thinking that I'm a sus, right? Suspecting the kind of relationship me and my wife might have. Like, do I really and truly love her at all from the outside, inside, inside, outside? What is her history like? Our history together like? Her childhood memories, mild memories together. What does she do now? What does she know? Her roles Different roles as a lover, as a wife, as a mother, as a colleague, as a friend to colleagues. As a church member. Now, you see, she's the object of our relationship. It's not my subjective feeling. Or if she fulfills my checklist of what I think she is. My wife is not my fantasy. Or my imagination she's a person she has a name she has a history growing up in the family and that she is a child of God I have been with her for more than 20 years and we celebrated our marriage 20th anniversary for more than half of my life okay but she should not become my object of faith God uses both our shortcomings to convince me that we both need a Savior. But even better, in our repentance to God, we grow in love from the joy of Jesus' forgiveness and in the forgiveness the forgiveness of one another. So, but faith is birthed in us first through what? The Holy Spirit. And it grows with joy from knowing one another and knowing through Jesus Christ. So, having a faith in Jesus is having the Holy Spirit joy in the end. So here is Luke's call to believe in Jesus with the Holy Spirit joy. And I read from verse 39 through 45. Uh, Kind of went backward a bit, eh? but hear me out. Verse 39, oh yeah, here we go. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, For behold, when the sound of a greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is the she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, from the text, contrary to some popular belief that the Holy Spirit is inactive before the arrival of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, here we have that. The Holy Spirit is hard at work, but not even in the New Testament. The Old Testament, we can prove that as well. Holy Spirit is there in the creation. So, it's not just Pentecost that the Spirit fell on believers, but here we have the Holy Spirit working, right, in Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, and I would say very much Joseph as well. To do what? To bring joy, his joy of salvation to God's people. So, not only to Elizabeth, Mary, but, you see, it's through the generations, for the past, present, and future. He wants to bring the joy of salvation to God's people, all together, every, every generation. So, we'll do well to note here, the generations begins, what, at the conception that a person is formed in the mother's womb. When God's word revealed in verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting comes to my ear or came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And may every father and mother or to be fathers and mothers, right? Here answer this call to believe in verse 45. And blessed is the one is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. For sure, these words were for Mary but God didn't speak to us the truth of life, but didn't God actually speak to us the truth of life, preciousness through His Word in the Bible? Here, the call is to believe in Jesus with the joy of the Holy Spirit in every new birth of God's people. You see, God never terminates your birth or your faith in Him. We are precious in His sight. So let us dwell on the goodness and rejoice in the spirit that we are alive in Him, with His faith. Now, to encourage us to rejoice again, and then Luke needs to kind of again doubly sure that we get this. So I'll read verse fifty-six through sixty-six. Here, okay. And Mary remained. Oh, sorry. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard the word has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they make signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, uh, not iPad, uh, but writing tablet, and wrote his name, is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, Blessing God! And... Fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them, uh, them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Again, we see from here, God didn't terminate Zechariah's faith in God when he couldn't contain his mind that God is bigger and mightier than him or his situation. But Zechariah was shown mercy by muting him from speaking unbelief. And when he believed by God's writings, uh, word to him through the angel, his name is John, right? The Holy Spirit literally opened his mouth to praise God with joy in this poem. Or the following poem that uh, I, or the next verses, right, which I already read. However, we'll be mistaken that his praise and joy were only because he had a son. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth knew that they would meet their saviour in their lifetime. That is the double joy. It's not just having a son. That's great. But here, they knew they're going to meet the Messiah, the promised Messiah after 500 long years or many, many years of silence here. They are going to meet their Most High God, born, fulfilling God's promise. They are rejoicing twice over with the birth and growth of John and the announcement of the birth and arrival of their Savior, Lord Jesus, all together. So now I'll read from chapter 1, verse 80, and then through chapter 2, verse 7. So we're coming to an end already, all right? Just in case you are wondering. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And this child is actually John, by the way. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to, registered, to be registered She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In verse 1, Luke make the timestamp and date on Jesus' birth. In those days, right? I mean, verse 1 of chapter 2, right? In those days of the reign of Caesar Augusta, when registration of births were required. So the birthplace we know is in Galilee, Nazareth, the city of David, Bethlehem. So Joseph, we also know, was in the lineage of what? David. Joseph was born into the family or Jesus was born into the family of Joseph and Mary. Now, the significance here is twofold. Listen. Firstly, it is the fulfillment of the promise of God for His people through the prophets in the Old Testament time. And I read from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from, of old, from ancient times. Now we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and this scripture tells us in advance the place of Jesus will be born. So this prophecy was written by Micah approximately 800 years before Christ was born. Then in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So the scripture points to how he will be born and also to one of the names given to Christ, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. You get it? God born True Virgin Mary, God with us, Emmanuel, truly. Back then, I'm not sure if Isaiah knew, but truly God with us is through the divine authority or authorship. Now this points to both his human birth and his divine nature. And this was written over 700 years before Christ was born. So here, a significance of the fulfillment of God's promise is that Jesus was what? He was adopted into the family of Joseph Joseph. And Mary. That is at a very personal level. God's people are also then adopted as God's children into His family through the church family. You see? So there is a personal level adoption, and there's a large adoption involved with the church family adopting God's people. So the church is where the joy of the Holy Spirit is then what? Multiplied and magnified, I would say right, the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for one, it's for multiplication for the entire church. So Luke is here calling us for the certainty of faith with three pairs of parallel narratives. Of the two births foretold, God calls you to believe in Him with what? His promises. Of the two poems of praise, God calls you to believe in a Savior with God's mercy. Of the two births fulfilled, God calls you to believe in Jesus with the Holy Spirit's joy. So God's threefold calling for us to believe comes in twos: is to assure us that God is at work, not by coincidence. He double confirms that His salvation is certain for us and calls us for the certainty of faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the good news of Jesus then for all of us. Here's the thing. He initiates to love us. He initiates to call us back to His home to be His children through the adoption of the Spirit by God. And by His Spirit, He initiates to save us to believe in Jesus. And may God's Word help us to know Jesus all the more, right? Through Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. And here is the final word. But God being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Jesus is rich in his mercy. He made us alive to hear his voice when we were dead in our sins. We don't have to be drowned by sin again. Hear God's call to all of us. Sin no more. We are alive in Christ. He calls us to the certainty of faith in Jesus. Now this is God's word.